Welcome to Sisterhood. I am so, so excited for this new semester. And um, the title of our new um, semester's teaching is called My Determined Purpose. And I just want to welcome any first-timers that we have to Sisterhood. Can we just welcome anyone that's here maybe for the first time? Yes, I know um, here and at all of our campuses, there's going to be new women joining us, and I love that. And so uh, I just want to say that Sisterhood, for those of you are new, Sisterhood is an amazing place to get to know one another. And we are a group of women that we love God and we love you. And this is going to be a safe place for you. So for you newbies, I want you to know that please feel welcome. Feel welcome to share. We are vulnerable. We open up to one another. And we cheer each other on. That's what we do at Sisterhood. We cheer each other on. And we, we will pray with you. We will laugh with you and cry with you this semester. And most of all, we just want you to feel so loved and so welcome here. So please, please feel that way. So we're going to jump right in to our lesson, and again, it's called My Determined Purpose, and we are looking at knowing him better this semester. That's what we want to do, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself um, listening to a song like over and over, like one that just maybe really blesses me or, or lifts my spirit. And I kind of go through seasons where I'm liking one song. Well, right now I am loving the song by Cody Carnes called He Won't. And it talks about how God won't fail. It talks about God being our rock and our foundation. And it just ministers to me. I just, I play it on repeat and I love it so much. But our God is so much to us. He is our peace. He is our healing. He is our way and truth and life. He's our righteousness, our forgiveness. He's our comfort, our inheritance, our friend, our hope, our king. He's so many things to us. And we should just marvel at the fact that God designed us to know his son, Jesus Christ. And not even just to receive him and know him, but we get to know him intimately. Now, in Genesis, it talks about God creating the world. And he created all things. And every time he created something, he said that it was good. In Genesis 1, 3, and 4, then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Then continuing on in verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. Now this happens over and over and over in the story of creation, right? Everything that God made, he called good. But then when we get down to verse 26 of chapter 1, God creates man in his image, and this time he said that it's very good. Now we can see that God created man, and that was his favorite creation, and we were made in his image, so we have thoughts and feelings, and we are not just physical, but we're also a spiritual being with a body and soul. That's why God called it very good. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were suddenly aware that they, you know, should hide from God. They were shameful, and in Genesis 3.8, it tells us that they heard the Lord walking in the garden and they actually hid from his presence. God had come 
looking to be with them, but they were gone. Genesis 3.9 says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Imagine God's pain of not being able to find the ones that he called very good. The ones that he made in his image with the ability to fellowship with him. Because nothing else that God created could receive or give love. And so his heart was just grieved to be separated from his children. And all over scripture, we read that God is a jealous God. He's always yearning for our affection and our attention. And his love for us is so strong that he can't stand having second place in our hearts. He created us to be in fellowship with him and he wants to be first in our hearts. So being a Christian isn't about being religious, knowing all the rules, or looking good on the outside. It's about being in an authentic relationship with the Lord. And it's God's will for us to know him better. So welcome to this new semester of sisterhood, because that is the intent of this semester. The purpose is to get to know the Lord better. And if you'll let him, God will bring you into a place of intimacy and personal fellowship with him in the coming months. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? I hope it does to all of you. Now, it's likely that at some point in your life, you've asked yourself the question, why am I here or what is my purpose? And maybe you've completed a spiritual gifts assessment or I'm sure many of you have done like Myers-Briggs or, you know, the Strength Finders tests. And those are all valid. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we were created for good works. So what are good works? Well, the, the words written in the Greek, the word for good is agathos, and it means useful, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, excellent, and the word for works is ergon, which means business, employment, and undertaking, or anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or the mind. So we see in Ephesians 2.10 that God has good and useful and excellent accomplishments for us to do, and he created us to do them. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Now, the word plans here is sometimes translated as thoughts. In the Hebrew, um, it, it can mean thought, plan, purpose, or work. And God is saying that he has a purpose for you, for each and every one of you. He has a plan. So maybe you are wired to be good with numbers and maybe you work with finances or budgeting maybe god has given you an extra dose of patience and you work with teenagers or children or maybe the elderly or those people that need extra care some of you have been given amazing imaginations and you flourish in environments where you can use creativity Maybe you innovate or you're in advertising or you dream up new advancements in technology. Trying to discover the work that God created you to do is valid and good. But if we can just still ourselves and listen and lean in to God and hear him whisper to us, he actually has a better, even higher 
purpose for every one of us. Purpose just means the object toward which one strives, a goal, an aim, or a result or effect that is, that is intended or desired. God is calling us as his daughters to embrace our heavenly purpose, our God purpose. And this is a purpose not based on doing, but based on being and being intimately acquainted with him. So if you remember back to your grammar days, back a long time ago, you remember there's two kinds of verbs. There's action verbs and being verbs. So action verbs are like, you know, do, run, jump, skate. But being verbs are ones that describe a perpetual state of existence like I am, you are, they are. God's purpose for us is that we would delight or glory in being in relationship with him. Now, glory just means to rejoice triumphantly. The Hebrew word for glory is halal, and it just means to shine, to flash forth light, to be praised or commended. So I'm going to read a couple of verses from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. So here we see that the one thing that should cause us to rejoice triumphantly, the one thing that should cause us to shine our light is understanding and knowing God. We don't glory over our own wisdom or our degrees or how great we are at figuring things out. There's no need to rejoice triumphantly because of our emotional strength or our stamina or our bravery. No, the degree to which we know the Lord is what we need to glory in. And look at what Paul writes in his letters to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 131, it says, As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, in the Lord just means like things of the Lord. He's telling believers to rejoice triumphantly in Jesus because it is he who made us. He freed us from our sin on the cross. So we glory in all that he accomplished, not what we accomplish. Now, the Pharisees in the New Testament knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the one who wrote the scriptures. And I, I wonder if you guys have seen The Chosen. We're in a series right now um, in church on that, and I just love watching those first two um, seasons. And I because it just brings everything alive. And, and I remember seeing the Pharisees, right? It just, it was good because they're all like in their robes and they're very pious. And they were the very scholarly, very learned men um, of the time. And they kind of represented the high society. They did everything right. They checked the boxes. They prayed out loud and made sure everyone heard them. So they were busy doing, right? But they were nowhere close to being in a relationship with God. They had stepped into their do without stepping into their be, and it grieved God's heart. 
Look at how Jesus reprimanded the Pharisees in John 5, 37. This is Jesus speaking. He said, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's pretty harsh. He was saying to the Pharisees, you don't know me. And the key is for us to just come to him. It's simple. We just come. We take a step by faith. And of course, there's a choice implied there because he said, you are not willing to come to me. So are you willing? Are you willing right now to come to him, to lean in, to listen to his voice? and just to take a hold of the life that he has waiting for you. We can't experience that life with God unless we draw near to him. That's the only way it works. And when people draw near to him, like when you hear like a really great sermon or something, you're like, wow, that was amazing. That comes from, you know, when the pastor or whoever is, is speaking has spent time with the Lord and they're filled up with him and they're able to overflow that. When you meet when you meet someone that just, you leave them and you think, oh, they just, they're so encouraging, like they're so godly. That's because they've spent time with the Lord and it just oozes out of them. But on the other hand, there's people who are empty and stale and disconnected from him and they have nothing to offer to others. Real faith doesn't come by knowing faith principles. Like, okay, we can get healed in three easy steps. No, it's not like that. Real faith comes from knowing the person behind the principles. Look at what Jesus says when praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples in John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice that Jesus didn't say, when they meet you, or when they have a one-time encounter with you. No, he said, when they know you. That means knowing, that's ongoing, that's constant. God desires for relationship and fellowship with his people, and they're not the same thing. You need fellowship and relationship. Both are required. And marriage is a great example of this. I'm sure, you know, we've all seen that couple in the restaurant where they're both looking, sitting down their phones. They're not even talking, right? They're just completely um, unaware of each other. And the only time they maybe talk to each other is when they have to, you know, who's picking up the kids tomorrow or, you know, what chores do you need to do and I need to do. There's no excitement of being in a relationship. So clearly, two people can be in a relationship without having fellowship. But marriage only truly works when you have both. You have the relationship and the fellowship and the intimacy. And it's the same with our walk with God. We need to quit striving to find our gift or do, do, do all these things. We're always going, we're always busy, but we don't take that time just to sit and be in his presence. Now, our fellowship with Jesus begins at our salvation. And after the moment it starts, it needs to be cultivated and nurtured. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this word fellowship, I don't love this word. It's a very churchy word. Like, you never say it, like, outside of church, but it's like, oh, let's go have fellowship. I'm like, what is a different word for that? I just don't like it. But I don't know that there's another word. I'm like, connected. That's, it just doesn't have the same meaning as fellowship. And in the Greek, the word fellowship is koinonia, which that's worse. <laughs> let's go have some koinonia. Um, but it just means sharing, unity, close association, and koinonia cements the believer to Jesus. So if you can imagine that a mason sets out a stack of bricks, and he does row by row, he stacks them all up, but there's nothing in between, what would happen? They would just totally fall over, they could probably hurt someone, it's nothing that's going to be sustainable. But in order to actually build a structure that will last, obviously he needs to put cement in between them, right? So that will bind the bricks together. Well, it's the same way with fellowship. That fellowship binds us together with Jesus and it provides that powerful bond. If you take time to listen, really take time, you will hear him calling you. He wants to spend time with you. I know we're all different. Maybe in the morning when you first get up, you can hear him calling you and you can have that time with him. Maybe it's on a lunch break or maybe it's after the kids go to bed at night and I know it can be exhausting. But you have to hear him calling you and he wants to speak to you. He wants to pour into you whatever you're needing. He wants to give you wisdom and comfort. Now, when we look at the Apostle Paul, we can see how fellowship transformed his life. He started out as Saul, right? He was um, a high-up Pharisee. He was doing all the right things. He was even persecuting Christians because he thought they were in the wrong. But then Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his relationship with the Lord began. God told him to go to the Gentiles and share the gospel. But he first went to the Jews, and then he ran into all sorts of conflicts. And in his despair and trials, he sought the Lord. Turning away from his doing, he actually began to just be, and he got better acquainted with God. He fellowshiped with him. And when we, sometimes we have situations that, whether it's a sickness, maybe it's a trial we're going through, and it actually makes us Stop. And those are the times that we really get to know the Lord better because we're relying on him for everything, right? When we're going through a trial or a sickness. I know um, right now I'm going through a, a trial with my mom. And today is her 83rd birthday. And um, she's actually in the hospital. And um, she fell and broke her hip a few weeks ago. And um, I've been to visit her several times. She's actually in Las Vegas. She was visiting my foster brother. Right before she came home, she, she fell and broke her hip. So she's in Las Vegas, which makes it that much harder to see her. But I've been flying back and forth to see her. 
And last Friday, I left her, and I'm like, okay, Mom, I'll be back in a week or so. And um, she was just starting to gain her strength, and she's been hallucinating a lot and having just um, a really hard time um, just focusing. So she had been doing better, and I left. And then Friday night, I got a text that she had um, tried to get out of bed again and fell and cracked two vertebrae. And so I'm like, Lord, it's so hard to see someone you love that's in pain and in confusion, and I just want her to be well and whole. And so in this trial, I'm like, God, I trust you. I trust you. It just allows me to rest in him and know he loves my mom more than I do. And he's got her, and he's taking care of her. I just don't want to see her suffer, and I don't want to see her in pain. So that's really hard, but I, I, you know, every time you go through something, you learn something more about God and his goodness. And I'm thankful that even tonight, on her 83rd birthday, my brother's with her, and I'm going to be with her again in a few days. But I'm thankful that God's got her, and I know I trust him for whatever happens. But those are the times that we get to know him more when we're going through struggles. And Paul went through many, many struggles, and he got to know the Lord so well. And, and when he did, he determined, oh, I need to go speak with the Gentiles. That's what God told me in the first place. So he went to the Gentiles and started churches all over, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Galatia, Philippi, Rome, and beyond. And literally, the Christianity was, was unleashed and spread all over the world because of his obedience. He was seeking the Lord and having fellowship. And Paul learned through experience that the most important thing was not in all of his doing, but in his being. Look at how he advised Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. It says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul didn't say, I know all the steps. I checked all the boxes. He didn't say, I know I finally found my gift. He didn't focus more on what he believed. He focused on whom he believed. Faith is not just knowing the promise. It's knowing who is behind the promise. In Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, we read a beautiful prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And in verse 19, he said, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So to know, that word in the Greek is ginosko, ginosko, something like that. And it just means to perceive, understand, recognize, to the recognition of truth by personal experience. I love that. To know is to recognize it through experience. And then knowledge is just general intelligence or knowledge of what is lawful or unlawful for Christians. So Paul could have said it like this. There's something higher than following the rules, higher than doing or knowing the right thing to do. The higher thing is being in fellowship, comprehending and understanding the love Christ has for you. So out of his heart, Paul made a declaration for himself, and it's from this passage of Scripture that this semester's study comes from. In this letter to the Philippians, he describes in chapter 3 all that he'd clung to in his doing. I mean, he had credentials, he had influence, he spoke eloquently, yet he goes on to say that all of that 
compared to knowing Jesus is rubbish or garbage. And the Amplified Bible says it so well. So I'm going to read Philippians 3, 8 through 10 in the Amplified. And it's very wordy, so stick with me. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish in order that I may gain or win Christ the Anointed One and that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my obedience to the law's demand, ritualistic uprightness, and supposed right standing with God, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ the Anointed One, the truly right standing with God which comes from God by saving faith. Okay, here it is in verse 10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly. So that is our challenge. I am really looking forward to the next 12 weeks of studying with you and looking at God's character and getting to know him better. So I want to close by having all of us read verse 10 of Philippians 3 together. So it's going to be up on the screens. And let's read this together. It's going to be up on the screens. There it is. All right. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Amen? Amen. Amen.